As many of you know, um, Krista and I enjoy watching the Olympics, because I've talked about it a lot already. Uh, staying up, I guess, maybe a little bit too late sometimes to cheer on Americans' quest for gold. And now that it's almost over, we'll finally get a little bit more sleep. That's good, but it's been a good Olympics. I don't know how many of you have been watching, but if you have, you know names like Caleb Dressel, tearing up the pool, Sydney McLaughlin, uh, winning the 800, and our own Quinera Hayes of Livingston College. Give it up for Quinera Hayes. It was exciting to see her make it to the final in the 400. It was, it was fun. It was a good Olympics. But probably what these Olympics will be known for by, by most um, more than anything else, is when the world's greatest gymnast, Simone Biles, uh, maybe the greatest gymnast of all times, we don't know, when she withdrew, stopped competing because of struggles with her own mental health. The gold medal was literally in her grasp when she stepped away. She said this, I needed to protect my mind and my body. You know, it, it reminds us, doesn't it, that, that people have struggled with mental health since the beginning of time, just like, of course, just like we've struggled with issues related to heart, lung, kidneys, you name it. Uh, and yet, mental issues also, as you know, is, I don't know, it's been relegated to the closet, it seems, throughout much of history. We'll talk about high blood pressure and COBT, COPD all day, all day long, but I don't know, most folks don't spend time at dinner parties talking about their mental health. Well, maybe that's changing, and it should. And situations like these with Simone Biles, though we would never wish it upon anyone, of course, can serve as an opportunity for us to talk very seriously about mental health, and that's a good thing. When I was in graduate school, um, a very close friend struggled with depression, but I didn't understand it, certainly didn't understand the depth of her despair in those young years of my life until one day, sitting in the university library, I had a vivid flashback to earlier in that day when I walked into her home unannounced and saw her reaching to the top of a cabinet in her, in her parents' um, home. When she saw me, she quickly explained that she was just dusting or something, and I, and I really didn't think anything of it until I was sitting at my library carol studying, and, and suddenly this flashback, this, this very vivid memory of her father, um, years earlier maybe, I don't even know when, uh, had shown me an old revolver that had been given to him by someone in his life, a revolver that he kept in the top of that very same cabinet. I panicked. I tried to call her from a library payphone. That tells you how long ago this was. Uh, but no answer. I ran to my car. I, I, I sped to the house. I looked above the cabinet, uh, able to get inside the house, and sure enough, it was not there. Uh, it felt like an eternity before I could track her down, but I did at her favorite bar in Five Points. When I sat down at the table, I said, you have your dad's gun, don't you? And she said, damn thing didn't have bullets. <laughs> mm. Tough. Depression is real, right? We know that. Not all of it leads to such frightening moments as these, but we might be surprised by the people in our lives who struggle with it. Friends, family members, co-workers, so many folks in and around us who struggle with the very real effects of mental health. Historical figures, too. We've learned about Abraham Lincoln to Vincent van Gogh, from Mozart to Michelangelo, from Beethoven to Churchill, from Michael Phelps to Dolly Parton, Jane Polly to, to Billy Joel. Add to that list the prophet Elijah. 
uh, the subject of our reading today, so I'd like for you to open up again with me to your first reading from 1 Kings chapter 19. Just four verses, it's a very short story, but such a very important story for us today, I think, uh, in our particular context, but a bit of the context of Elijah. Elijah, as you might recall, is a prophet of Israel called to preach to the king. The king's name was Ahab and his wife, Jezebel, one of the great names in all of Scripture, right? Jezebel. The problem was that Jezebel was not a follower of the God of Israel. Instead, she was a follower of the God Baal. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Baal Shalazar. That's the village of people who worshiped Baal. Well, here we go. Jezebel is a worshiper of Baal. Well, one day, Elijah, because this is what prophets do, he challenged, he was holding Ahab, the king, accountable, and he challenged Ahab and Jezebel to a contest on the top of Mount Carmel, that's in Israel, to see which God would respond to the needs of the people. Well, long story short, I encourage you to go back and read it. Fantastic story. Uh, But the God of Israel responded, of course. The God of Jezebel did not, and she was furious. Really, more than that, She was humiliated. She was embarrassed. Her pride took a hit. And you know what happens when someone's pride gets bruised. They react. And her reaction was violent. She took out a bounty on Elijah's head. She said these words, by the end of the day, I'm sure just gritting her teeth, by the end of the day, I will have your head. So Elijah got the heck out of Dodge and hightailed it for, uh, to the nearest town outside of Jezebel's jurisdiction. He went to the town called Beersheba. He was safe there, so he thought. But just to make sure, he decided, and this is the first verse of our reading today, he decided to go yet another day's journey into the, into the wilderness. Of course, he was just trying to make sure that he was beyond Jezebel's reach and the hitmen who she had employed to find him. That's where the story picks up, and I want to read the story again today, if you don't mind. Again, Elijah went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It's enough, he said. Uh, Just take away my life, he said, for I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, otherwise the journey, it will be too much for you. So he got up, and he ate and drank. Then he went to the, on the strength of that food, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, the mount of God." Uh, Sidebar, uh, just real briefly, uh, this story provides a fantastic backdrop for a a Bible study. It's a great little Bible study. Uh, So if you have the chance, I encourage you to go home and do just that. But also something that you should know if you don't already, that on Mondays, we send out an email to everyone on our contact list at least. It, It shows the video of the sermon, but then offers a deeper dive into that particular text. So if you want to do a little bit more study of that particular text, then, then take, pay attention to the Monday email. But for the sake of brevity, I'll just make a couple of observations. The first one is the most obvious. Elijah was at the end of his rope. He was at the bottom of his barrel, whatever you want to say. It, 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 it's just a desperate moment 
for Elijah. And it's crazy, really, because, I mean, here's a remarkably talented and a remarkably faithful man of God who did everything that God had asked him to do, and look what he got for it. In a moment that should have been a moment of great celebration, when all of the people of Israel, certainly the king at the very least, would gather around him and celebrate, you know, this way that he proclaimed the goodness and the provision of God in this moment, what does he get instead? A bounty on his head. And one of the most evil queens in all of history chasing him down. Now, rather than being celebrated, he's alone in the wilderness. And that's when his despair kicks in. That's when we read in verse 4, oh Lord, just take my life. I just want to die. I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. Depression for Elijah was real. May have been situational, may have been genetic, may have been a chemical imbalance. We, we don't know. That's all stuff that we learn later on in, in life and in science. All we know is, is that it happens yet another time in his life when, when, I, when Elijah uses almost the exact same words, saying to God, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. Friends, look, if anyone uses those words, please take them seriously. And if you don't know the signs of depression or anxiety or even suicide among your kids, your family members, your coworkers, your friends, then learn. Learn those signs and seek help. Thankfully, there are so many resources, an increasing number of resources these days, including our own counseling services at St. John. So take advantage of them. Whatever you do, don't ignore it. Second, there's a fascinating detail in this story that deserves to be lifted up. I invite you to look at verse 5 and 6. Uh, now, again, Elijah's just cried out to the Lord to take his life. And then this detail, all at once, an angel touched Elijah and said, get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over what? Hot stones. Interesting and odd detail. And then a jar of what? of water, a jar of water. He ate and he drank and then he lay down again. Now, purely on the surface of things, this is just simply a lovely moment, right? When we're at our lowest, God provides. He provides peace, comfort, presence. The God who promises to never leave our side. In the book of Isaiah, God, God says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When, you. when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, they will not overwhelm you. Those are the promises of God. And then powerful statements of a God who, who will not forsake us or leave us. And likewise, St. Paul, I mean, when Paul is in prison and, and facing a life that will eventually lead to his death, he writes this, these words, what will separate us from this God? What will separate us from the love of God? Nothing, he writes. And neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, neither things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, nothing in all of creation will ever separate us from this love of God in Christ Jesus. That's what was happening right then and there, right? When this angel of the Lord spread before Elijah in that very moment exactly what he needed, bread and water, a feast, a feast that day. Now, I know it might not have looked like a feast. When I think of a feast, I'm thinking Thanksgiving and Christmas when, when people show up and bring their best recipes and, and the tables are loaded with food, good food, and we're filled to the brim, right? That's a feast. Isaac, I mean, Elijah was not looking for that kind of feast. 
Elijah was given exactly what he needed, a feast of simply bread and water. The message, God provides. When you least expect it, God provides. When, when you most need it, God provides. Through thick and thin, God provides. But there's one more detail that also shows God's provision. You see, focus on this idea of baked bread on hot coals, odd, and this jar of water. It's interesting that we're given such detail in this story. I mean, you could just, you could chalk it up to a really good ninth grade English teacher for Elijah who says, you know, you need to provide enough detail, not too much, but just enough detail just to keep your reader interested, right? Keep them, keep them going. But, but it's, more, it's more than that, really. I mean, even though this is a very short story, this, this very specific detail is, is interesting, more than just creative, because those specific references, hot coals, jar of, of water, would have provoked in Elijah something entirely different, a memory. You see, sometime before this story, before the dramatic moment on Mount Carmel, before Jezebel had a, a bounty on his head, before he had run out into the wilderness, Elijah was facing um, uh, what everyone in Israel was facing at, at the time, a severe drought, which was leading to a severe famine. Uh, you see, where he even lived, the Bible tells us that the river that he lived next to or the water, the, the stream, it dried up and there was nothing, there was nothing left. These were desperate times. So, God told Elijah to, to go to Zarephath, which is a town outside of, of Israel where he would meet a widow there. Now, Zarephath was an odd choice. It was, it was an odd um, expectation of God for, for him to go to this place because Zarephath was foreign territory. I mean, the people there were not the people of Israel. The people there in Zarephath did not worship the Lord God of, of Israel. But Elijah listened to God, pay attention, listened and obeyed. And he went there, and sure enough, he ran across a widow who was collecting sticks outside the town gate. Why? He asked her. She looked at him with desperate eyes, so that I can go home, bake one more loaf of bread, and die. I'm starving, she said. I have nothing else. Elijah followed her to her home and asked what she had, and she showed him just a handful of flour and a jar with a small amount of olive oil. He said, bake this bread over hot coals, and then bring to me the jar. And Elijah said, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jar of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon this land. And that's exactly what happened. There was enough. See, here's the point. When Elijah was alone, when he was depressed, when he was afraid, an angel placed before him more than a meal, it was a memory, a reminder that God provides. 
it's interesting. This word remember, it appears in Scripture 240 times. Rest assured, it's not accidental. It's very much on, on purpose. Remember the covenant, God says. Remember the goodness of the Lord. Remember that it was God who brought order from chaos. Remember that it was God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember that it was God who protected you from the flood. Remember, God says. Don't ever forget. Remember. So when Elijah saw that jar, he must have burst into tears because he remembered. It was a powerful reminder that that God had provided when he was at his most desperate place and thus became a promise that God would continue to provide even in the most unexpected of ways, especially when we listen and when we obey. So, listen, it's important for us to know that our mind is fixated on feasts, right? God's mind in this passage is fixated on memory because that's the feast that sustained Him, a feast of memory, a reminder that God would never forsake Him, and He never did. So, this week, our kids are getting ready to go to school, right? A lot of them, not all of them maybe, but plenty. You're headed to school maybe this week sometime? Yep. I'm going to give you a homework assignment, right? Just get ready for school. Kevin, you and everybody else, you ready for this? I want you to do this for me. I want you to recall in your life the jars of oil that the Lord has placed before you. I want you to recall in your life the bread baked on hot coals that the Lord has provided for you. All are blessings of grace. All are beautiful provisions of God. All, perhaps, come to us as stories of faith, stories that are shared with us in the pages of Scripture, no doubt, stories that are shared with us by our ancestors, by our parents and grandparents, stories that are shared of faithfulness, but even the stories of our own, those times when God has provided for us when we have most needed it. I want you to go home and sit and reflect and give thanks. Allow that flood of memory to come to you and then to tell those stories to your your children and your grandchildren. Tell those stories to those who are close to you. Remind those who are around you that God is so very good. Friends, may these memories serve as your nourishment this week no matter what you will face because who knows what this week will bring. But armed and comforted by that memory of grace, God will provide for you. God will set a feast before you to tell you you can trust in me. The God who promises to spread a feast before us each and every day of our lives, even the wilderness of despair, you can trust in me. And for that, we give thanks. Amen.